All right, we just haven't talked enough about sin, and so we are hitting this topic again. And all, a lot of us have either come from a Roman Catholic background, or many of us are, are more influenced by a Roman Catholic background than we think, just because we're part of the Western Church. And so when we approach this topic, mortal and uh, venial sins are definitely uh, lingo that is, is very common doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church, that there are sins that are sins that, if you you commit these, you go to hell. Other sins that if you commit these, um, they're definitely sins, but they're at a different level. So, uh, first of all, Michael, do you think that that potentially are, it feels like a default that we have in our culture, uh, in a Protestant culture, is that sins are a lot more equal to each other. You know, like, you have, you might have the sin of this, I have the sin of this, but, like, we all are sinners and we all need Jesus, uh, which we all would believe, yes, we are all sinners, we all need Jesus. But, Michael, do you think we're, we're in some ways overreacting against Roman Catholic theology uh, for those who are Protestants in leaning this way? Yeah, I think so. In our last broadcast, I mean, those who, those who are jumping in right now in our last broadcast, if you listen to that, you'll see that we challenged the question of, are all sins equal in the sight of God? Yeah. And we all agreed at the end that they're not equal in the sight of God. The Bible is very clear. And I do think a lot of us say, wait a minute, mm. but, but that's what Rome says, or that's, that's a doctrine from Roman Catholicism where they distinguish between mortal sins and venial sins, and we don't do that. 
we don't distinguish between the really bad sins and those mm. that aren't so bad. And, and that is not true of us, but it is something that I think keeps us in reaction uh, uh, and sometimes keeps us holding to this idea that all sins are equal. It's not what this broadcast is about, but we do move into this idea of what are uh, the different types of sins. And, and be it what it may, I think all of you all would agree that while we are not Roman Catholics sitting here, we all stem from the same traditions, mm-hmm. and we all have the rich heritage behind us. And there are some things that I think whenever you bring up mortal and venial sins that have been thought through throughout church history, even though I do not agree with what it is being, trying to be said. Now, mortal sin in Roman Catholic theology is this. A mortal sin is something that will remove the grace of God from your soul. So you may be a believer. You may be, according to Roman Catholic theology, baptized, confirmed, and in the state of grace. But you commit something really bad, like murder or like adultery or, or one, of, one of the sins. They don't really have a list of the sins that are mortal sins because pretty much any sin can be a mortal sin, mm. depending upon intentionality. But one of these things, the Ten Commandments, the big ones of the Ten Commandments, and then you are no longer a believer. You are no longer in the grace of God. You have to go to to confession. You have to do penance, and then you have to get back in the grace of God. And then there are the smaller sins, which are venial sins, the ones you you didn't intend. It was accidents, the floating the stop sign, the, mm. the uh, unintentional white lie or the intentional white lie. It's a small white lie. And those are the sins that you carry with you for the most part on the earth because you don't really remember them. You don't think about them. You don't <laughs> confess them all. And so usually you in Roman Catholic theology, you have to go to purgatory to have those taken care of. But as long as you don't have one of these really bad sins on your on your uh, soul, you will go to purgatory and eventually make it to heaven. Well, and uh, just for Roman Catholic theology in the news, uh, abortion is one of those that the Pope has just recently moved out of the category where previously you could never be forgiven if you had an abortion. Really? And, yeah, and now he says, yes, you can be forgiven if you have had an abortion. And is that forgiveness without penance? Well... I, I, no, I don't there know probably exactly. would be penance. Yeah, but there would. Well, but but still, it, I think what he's referring to, I read as well as yeah. the Pope has said that um, the Church will offer forgiveness and absolution to those who repent of the sin of abortion. And I think in the past that was not the case. Huh. Yeah. So if you had an abortion thirty years ago and you well, you they, they, they viewed it as murder, so have they softened their view? Yeah. Of, well, I, uh, of abortion, yes. So they're no, no longer... Or, no, 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 just that can you be forgiven if you had an abortion 20 yeah. years ago? And, oh. and you seek, no. you say, I'm so sorry about this. You know, I can't believe I did that. Uh, would Jesus, does the blood of Jesus forgive me of having an abortion 20 mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah. And yeah. the church previously would say no. Um, like that is a mortal sin of such level that, that you can never be forgiven. Right. So and it's the Pope still is just sin said, yeah. in the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, they haven't brought that it's you know not a sin, but, but no, that I it mean can murder. be forgiven. That's what I'm saying. Are they now well, viewing they spoke it? Because out, murder is I know still where a, a, that. a mortal yeah. sin as yeah. opposed to abortion. Are they Have they taken it out of that category? That's what I'm What's the theological yeah, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if, thinking um, behind it there. I'm wondering, you know, this is a part of the Roman Catholic system, 
um, exactly what the status of St. Francis's comment is. Mm. Um, because merely speaking as he does yeah. does not necessarily enshrine that statement as, as Catholic dogma. Mm. Um, I, you know, th- there is actually a, a much more formal process that he would have to go through. Mm-hmm. But the, the, uh, Francis's, who's been very much in the news lately, his motivation— yeah. is to try to draw back in lapsed Catholics mm-hmm. who have felt excluded by the church. And he's saying, well, that's not a sin that you need to fear is going to uh, incur eternal damnation any longer, mm-hmm. and there is forgiveness Yeah, available. and I think that that's always been part of Roman Catholic doctrine, that you could, no matter how severe the sin, come back as long as there's penance done. But that's what his intentionality is, is to mm-hmm. remind people of that. But but here's here's the issue, is that whenever you're talking about and I'm going to stick with this. I know that this isn't about Roman Catholicism, but I think it's very important for us to understand mortal or uh, the the personal sin, the subject that we're on, is that uh, there, there's certain qualifications whenever you are a Roman Catholic in order for something to truly be a mortal sin. Number one is that you have to know it's a mortal sin. You can't not know it's a mortal sin and commit it and be charged with a mortal sin. So you have to know beforehand. That is no, one of the number one things about mortal sins. If you didn't know it, it is not charged to you. That's why uh, uh, Protestants, knowing, uh, not believing in the Roman Catholic system and rejecting it, are still able to be separated brethren rather than condemned brethren because we weren't convinced that it was a mortal sin. We didn't believe it already. But if you believe that it's a mortal sin and you do it anyway— then you are, it's a mortal mm-hmm. sin. Another thing is you can't be coerced. Somebody can't be pointing a gun to your head and saying, you have to do this. And um, mm-hmm. another thing is, I forget the third one, but these two are very important because what we're talking about here is there's got to be intentionality behind your sin, and there's got to be a knowledge of the sin in some sense as, as being sinful uh, in order for it to be really sinful. And the reason why I bring this up is this, guys. Listen, I'm sorry. Uh, the reason I'm not why I, moving my tongue because I'm biting it so hard. Yeah. Well, the reason why I bring this up is isn't there a, a, a behind God whenever he's looking at us, um, there's some sense in which whenever, of course, whenever we have trusted Christ, we are forgiven of all our sins. Yes. But there are these sins that infect our lives that are, are more mortal in the sense that they hurt us more. That, that if we know that they're bad and we're still doing them, they hurt us more. Mm-hmm. If that we believe that they're bad and we still do them, they're hurting us more. And doesn't that add to the idea that, that one person can commit a sin, say, of homosexuality, yeah. right? And, and they've all their life grown up in a culture and a system like they are today. The mm-hmm. kids are being brought up in a system where all these sins, sexual sins, are permissible. Mm-hmm. And there's not really the, the Bible belt uh, strapping them down, even here in Oklahoma, and th- they get involved in that, and it's lesser than whenever you are brought up in a culture or a family and a belief that it's yeah. wrong, and you go against it. Well, that's just uh, that's common grace, and God—I I believe His hand is being removed, so that kind of stuff's more pervasive. But you said something there about 
these sins that can be more hurtful. I think we also have to think in terms of certain sins, grieving God more as Christians. There's certain things that we can do that can grieve him more than other things. So I think it's the both. Does that make sense? Yeah. That it's not just focusing on the consequences well, for us. Well, it's what we talked about beforehand, the, the man who knew his yeah, father's will. Yeah, but, much is but given, I'm talking much about in terms required. of the offense to him, and it's not just him, God up there, God, I say up there, That's, but I mean God taking the hump and getting mad and pouting. No, it's like he's genuinely grieved um, to a greater degree at certain things than others. So it's it's, it's like a both thing. And the, I don't know, I, I'll end up going off on a tangent, but I think the point is, is that we look to our sin and we recognize it. It, it's ultimately helping us recognize something about the character of God. And I think, and that's why I was trying to bite my, I was having a hard time with all the mortal sin and all of that kind of but, stuff because, yeah, yeah but go let ahead, me, but inter- let me interrupt just throw me. In, let me throw I'm, a little something in here. Do we not, as Protestants, and all four of us in this room are Protestants, mm-hmm. yes. um, do we not also believe there is such a thing as mortal sin? Even though mm-hmm. we wouldn't use that language if, in the way that the Catholics well, do, I believe there are certain yes. sins that if committed um, in an unrepentant fashion, cut you off from eternal life. Think about Hebrews 6, a very controversial passage, but he says that for those who have uh, you know, tasted uh, the heavenly gift, they've been enlightened, shared in the Holy Spirit, so on and so forth, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. They're crucifying once again the Son of God right. in open shame. So there is a sin that if committed... We are explicitly told it is impossible to renew that person to repentance. Well, what sin well, is, is that? Is that under the umbrella, though, of the unforgivable? Isn't that ultimately rejecting Christ? Because these people aren't really saved to begin with. Right. That, of course, that depends on how we interpret Hebrews 6. I would say they're well, not born I'm again. Yeah, I don't believe they're born again. <laughs> uh, I believe they are doing something very similar to what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 12 when he said that you can so harden your heart mm. that in the face of the most obvious inescapable, undeniable evidence of who Jesus is, you claim, in fact, that he is the devil. Right. That that puts you beyond forgiveness because it puts you beyond repentance. Yeah. Well, let's get real practical with this, though. I That's mean, a great point. Because if, if we come down yeah. to it and we say that, you know, those of us who have trusted in Christ, mm-hmm. we sit here and we believe that that, ha- that has washed us. We are clean. We are found in Christ. We are forever identified with Christ. And, and I used to talk to a guy all the time that was, uh, that I was trying to win to Christ. And, and it was always he wanted to hold on to certain sins. You know, he always wanted to say, but I don't want to quit doing this. And I don't want to quit doing that. And, you know, finally I got down to it and told this guy, and this was a long time ago, and I, wouldn't, I don't think I would necessarily present it this way anymore, but I said, you can just keep on doing what you're doing, okay? Because well, all I'm asking you to do is to recognize you're a sinner and trust in Christ. And he says, so I can keep on partying, I can keep on sleeping around, I can keep on doing this. And I said, yes, I guess. That's like some of the worst advice I've ever heard a Christian give to anyone. I know that, I know that. But whenever people think that way, isn't that the way we think often whenever we are engaging in sin? We say, well, I'm forgiven for it, so... I've got kind of a that is in a direct free violation pass. of uh, do we sin so grace abounds? No. Well, we're all going to be sanctified in the end. We're all going to be perfectly sanctified whenever we get to heaven. Why? Why bother? But well, because well, we're, we're yeah. called to do it. Well, we're yeah, going to be like that. Like, like I'm being serious. I'm the devil's <laughs> advocate I, I'm here. I'm getting She's mad. She's getting mad at me. I'm scooting I'm already over. mad about the I Roman think she Catholic just dropped thing. the word advocate. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. You the devil. All right, hey. 
why don't we take a few moments for a commercial break and pay the bills around here a little bit, and then we will let Carrie kind of cool down a little bit, and then we'll pick up here in a second. Can't get enough of Theology Unplugged? Ready to take your theological training to the next level? Hi, I'm Michael Patton. The Credo House Members Area is your exclusive hub for theological training. Sign up for a free basic or premium trial and check it out today. Inside, you're going to find 28 theological training courses, 190 video sessions on topics from the Crusades to atheism to eschatology, over 50 PDF downloads, and certificate courses with hundreds of quiz questions to test your mettle. It's all part of the Credo Members area. Plus, your membership helps Credo House create more high-quality training for the church. Join us and help push back the intellectual darkness. Oh yeah, and did I mention you can sign up for free? Visit credohouse.org and check it out today. Nice. Okay. Okay, so let me throw Matthew 18 our way as well, because here uh, someone is sinning against us, and then a couple times we're told uh, if he refuses to listen to them, then do this. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then do this. And so just the the whole reason, I think, uh, why God set up church discipline, and I know like in America this isn't a popular thing, and especially like people just be like, hey, if you're trying to approach me on my sin, I'm just going to go to some other church and I'm out of here. Uh, but uh, if we really do covenant together in a community, that it seems like we are supposed to be even bringing up those sins. You know, so like when you talk about mortal sins in Roman Catholicism, you know, it's kind of like, well, if he knows about it and stuff like that, but it seems like God put inside of his community that we would be, uh, that we would be speaking to each other whenever we see sin come up uh, so that we're aware of it, and which also gets to this idea of a mission or commission as well. Like, can I create, can I do a bunch of sins by not doing anything? Yeah. And, uh, and how we navigate that as well. But how do you feel, uh, Sam, do you feel Matthew 18 kind of steps into this as we, re- as we talk about just personal <laughs> sin and how to, how to navigate in community with each other? Well, certainly it does. I mean, it's the, it's the whole process of church discipline. And of course, we're operating on the assumption there that the person is born again. They make a profession yeah. of faith. They are part of the community of the church. And that's why we have the responsibility and the authority as leaders uh, to pursue them in that regard. L- let me grab onto something here because we haven't really talked about it yet, but we need to. And that is the notion of high-handed sin, mm-hmm. willful as over uh, against inadvertent. And I'm thinking, for example, of, um, of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, a very clear <coughs> distinction there that there's a, a sense of I have the knowledge, I know the truth, I'm well aware of the consequences and the nature of my transgression, but I willfully and with a high hand uh, persist in it. And then also, what about James 4.17? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Yeah. So here's the sin of omission. Um, it's, Doesn't I'm, Paul say the same thing in Romans chapter 14? When he talks about whatsoever is not of faith is yeah, sin. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I would almost think that in the context there, the faith that he has in mind is the faith to know that all things are um, um, open to the Christian other than that which is explicitly forbidden. In other words, 
the one who says, I'm going to have a little wine with my meal, and the other says, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. He doesn't have faith that God has made all things clean. So can some sins be a sin for you but not necessarily for me? If I believe something is a sin and I do it, and it's not really in God, like, like if I believe having a glass of wine is a sin, but I do it and I feel I'm breaking God's law, but I'm going to do it anyway, is that a sin for me? Whereas for okay. you. Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Let, let's absolutely. take the Romans 14 example. That's a good example. So we have, let, let's say that um, you, Michael, are going out to dinner with a new Christian that you've just met here at Credo. And you all sit around and you're having your meal and you order a glass of wine. And this fellow sitting across the table from you, his eyes are about to pop out of his sockets because he has been raised to believe, wrongly in our opinion, at least in mine, that it is sinful even to drink in moderation. But he's in your presence and he doesn't want to uh, let you down. He so admires yeah. you. He, he wants to live his life like yours. So he says, yeah, I'll have a glass too. But in his conscience, he believes it's sinful for him to do so. So he violates his conscience, but he doesn't violate the law of God because mm -hmm. God has not prohibited him from having a glass of wine. You're not violating your conscience because you think and know rightly that you're free to drink in moderation. So objectively, you both lift your glass, you take a sip. Michael, you have not sinned. Paul says to this young man, you have, because you didn't violate because you did not act in faith or confidence that God had given you that freedom. You violated your conscience. And so in the your act is not sinful. His act would be. And it's mm -hmm. not relativizing sin. It's it's being very mm -hmm. specific that this is not a sin in God's eyes. But there is a specific sin that if you think something's a sin and violate your so, conscience. Uh, vi yeah. So would we say scripture would indicate that if we violate our a biblically informed conscience, that's sin? Yeah. Are is you, that are kind you, of what you're are saying? Are you committing sin right now by violating your biblically informed conscience that you should not teach? I'm not teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. No, yeah. Stop it. Don't no. say that. Well, because I think this brings us a little bit to a view of Scripture where Scripture doesn't list, like, every potential sin that we could commit in a day, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, th there are places where Scripture—but Scripture doesn't tell me, like— hey, Tim, if you say this exact sentence with this heart, that's a sin. You know, it's more that with the Spirit of God inside of us, like, yes, there are many places where Paul gives lists of sinful things, but Paul's not saying this is, these are the only sins I can think about or that, you know, come to my mind. He, these, are, these are examples, you know? And so, so I think in some ways if we, if we say, well, this sin isn't in the Bible so I can do it, um, that that's not, you're, you're making the Bible way too exhaustive in the fact of it's actually articulating every potential sin. I'd say any sin is is an action that's away from God in many yeah. ways, and so and that can take all sorts of different. Well, forms. okay, then let me put it this way, because you guys were jumping on me about my advice to that young man earlier. Yeah, and, and you may right, be right to jump on me for it. Maybe I was wrong by saying, "Hey, listen, as long as you trust Christ, uh, keep on drinking, keep on sleeping around." Right? Yeah. Now, no, now, but wait, wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. Didn't, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but didn't maybe. Martin Luther? Uh, didn't Martin Luther? Didn't Martin, didn't, no, I'm, maybe I'm wrong it, about Sam. this quote. Maybe I'm wrong about this quote. Uh, didn't Martin Luther? Wasn't he the one who says, "Trust God and do as you please"? That was Augustine. 
Okay. That but but then the question is, what pleases you? Yeah, and the, yeah, that's and what the, I'm saying. The idea is, like, if you love me, you'll obey my a commandments. Regenerate, you know? A regenerate heart so, wants. Yeah, Basically, so, so he said, here, love God and do as you please. But his point was, if you really love God, you'll do what he pleases. And, but because doesn't... what pleases you is godly. So let me throw out a super... Uh, uh, an example is probably going to make people a little upset here. That's uh, that is an extreme example. If someone says to me, uh, "Do I have to stop uh, acting in a homosexual way in order to come to Jesus?" Okay, yeah. do I need to stop having gay sex to come to Jesus? I would say no. I would say because you, I you because got on to me. No, no, here, no, 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 no. Let, let me finish different. what I'm. I well, no, what I'm, he's saying. I'm just beginning the statement, okay? Um, because what I want them to do is realize what saves them is faith in Jesus, okay? That's what saves them. It's not stop being gay plus Jesus is what saves you. What saves you is putting your trust in Jesus. Now, here, now with Jesus, you're going to. The Bible's full of statements about holiness, about what it means to follow Jesus, about if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I know that with the Holy Spirit inside of them, as they pursue Jesus, as they read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and other places, that I believe that in community and all these things, that what it means for them to follow Jesus is they will stop uh, committing homosexual acts. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, and, and I would, I'll preach that way. I'll teach that way. I'll painfully walk with them through a long uh, journey of that because it's going to be hard. What's the difference in your advice and my advice? Because what you did is you opened the door that they could continue sinning in that way, and it'd be totally here's, fine. Here's the difference, Michael. He's talking about counsel to a non-Christian before yeah. he comes to faith in Jesus and what coming to faith in Jesus entails. Well, that's you're the same giving thing advice to a saying, Christian. No, no, I was talking about a non-Christian. Oh, okay, but what yeah, you're yeah, also yeah. though saying no, I say is a that Christian? yeah, well, we thought no, you but, did. Well, but I what's different? To win I still to Christ. Think... But what's different for you, Michael? Though, is you left the door open that potentially they could just continue for the rest of their life with Jesus. Uh, like if they say, I don't want to give this up, and you say, hey, just come to Jesus, and you don't have to give that up. But what I would say is like when you come to Jesus, you're going to want to give that up over time. Okay. And and where you didn't make that clear to them, like they could say like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, and uh, I'm really upset at you now because I feel like you pulled it. Well, either way, one. either way, I think we're saying the same thing, but here's the question. <laughs> I, I want to play the Lordship. Wait, wait, hold on a second, though. I'm going to play the Lordship card here because okay. I don't think we need to tell people when we are when we are evangelizing and sharing the gospel with people, well, you know, in time, your life is going to change in this and that and this and that. No, we need to... Scripture doesn't seem to say that. Scripture, what do we... To, yeah. What do we tell people? Repent or perish. Repent. And I do believe that that's a, a, something that... We're capable of it. Doesn't mean that we stop sinning and all of that kind of stuff. But we don't need to say to people. We need to yeah. tell people repent. Yeah. Because the point I of, of pointing you. out sin, and this kind of goes back to what I was trying to say earlier, sin ultimately is a reflection of what God isn't. You know, it's his absence of of, of all His goodness and and mercy and and His righteousness and His perfection. That's why I was like squirming when we were talking about Roman Catholicism and the, all the different levels of sin because. 
when they're talking about these sins, it just keeps point narrows back to the church, the church, the church, the church. But in reality, if we're addressing our sin and looking at our sin, it should be pointing us to God and his holiness and his perfection. And that's where Protestants have maybe failed by flattening it out and saying all sins equal. No, because we're failing to see all these nuances within the the character of God, which ultimately as Christians we should strive to know better and know more. And so, yeah. anyway... No, sorry, and, and Kerry, I'm totally Kerry, with you, too. I'm like, so sorry. That's like no, a lot. No, it's in, not. Well, what, what we have to... Like, what I told people... One of the men would, get the pulpit away from Carrie. <laughs> yeah, what I tell well, people is following Jesus is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything to come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But we also need to learn from history to not become legalistic, I'm fundamentalists, not, I, and say... I don't say, and I don't say, think and, repent or perish is being a, legalistic. A I think well, it's being biblically faithful. Yeah. Well, like, my, my dad was told, like, hey, to come to Jesus, you need to get rid of all the beer in your refrigerator. Okay, that's silly. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I thought it was silly, too, because then what they mistakenly did is they connected those things. And that's just, when I'm proclaiming the gospel, I want them to know that they're coming to Jesus purely by faith, because he lived the perfect life for them. Yeah, absolutely. But then now as you follow him, you're going to desire to live his life instead of your life. Well, I think that's what repentance is, is that exercise of faith in Christ. Oh, I'm not having the last word. (laughs) (laughs) Sam gets the last word. Sam gets the last word. No, I don't get the last word, but yeah, this is kind of taking us a little bit off of our focused topic here, but it is important uh, to remember, you know, Jesus made it very clear um, that um, that we must count the cost. We must know the nature of the life to which we are committing ourselves. That doesn't mean that you are capable of living that life before you embrace Jesus in faith. No yeah. one is. And I think, Tim, what your point is, is that the call of the gospel is to stop trusting in your own righteousness and cast mm-hmm. yourself wholly and solely upon what Jesus accomplished for sinners at the cross. Mm-hmm. And in telling them that, saying, let me tell you, if you do that, what you want to do is going to change. Yeah. What you feel the freedom now to do is going to go on a radical transformation. And it's not wrong to say you need to sit down and count the cost. Are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow mm-hmm. after Jesus? Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.